running a startup is literally it's not it's it's a metaphor that has been used uh, so often but you know it, it's it is a roller coaster yeah and there, there is constant up and downs ups and downs and um i i think that the most important thing um in those ups and downs uh as as a person is to identify literally identify when you're down and just um telling yourself that this is something temporal mm. and and eventually uh you 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 hit the bottom and then you go back up and as long as you are aware that um you know at the end of the bottom you can only go up and it will go up eventually you can probably overcome everything Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup You, inspiring and supporting entrepreneurs to make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin mentor, and founder of Startup You, the regional partner of Virgin Startup, providing startup funding, mentoring, and support. Each episode features the stories from two entrepreneurs at different stages in their journey who talk us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hayes, who are the number one recruiting experts in the UK. Whether you're searching for your perfect job or looking to scale your business by building the perfect team, go to hayes.co.uk, quoting Startup You. Welcome to episode 63 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, and on today's show, I welcome Draw Ginsberg, founder of Watch It. Draw has over 25 years of experience in technology with a focus on video and related tech. As co-founder and CEO of Watch It, Draw provides over 600 global news brands, media brands, publishers and professional bloggers with a video creation platform for production of video content at scale and speed. After starting his career in technology while serving with the Israeli Defense Forces, working in the famous Center of Computing and Information Systems, Mamram, he's now on his second tech startup. And with offices in New York, London, and Israel, he's a man on the move. I managed to track him down at home in Tel Aviv. Let's start up. I was programming from the age of 12. It was uh, the early 80s. That was quite a long time ago uh, when the um, you know, first um, uh, personal computers have arrived. I personally had a Dragon 32, uh, but it was at the same time when was, you know, the Commodore computer and the, and the, Atari, yes, the Atari computers and, um, and the first Apples uh, came out. Mm. Um, I, was, I was actually lucky enough, uh, my, my father... Uh, was importing those computers into Israel, uh, and I was was lucky enough to get one of them. Yeah. But apparently he was uh, he was slightly smarter than uh, than uh, than what I thought back then. And he not only did he bring me that computer, he also uh, set me up with a with a programming course. Uh, when at, at that time it was like uh, completely unheard of. Nobody nobody was sending their kids to learn programming <laughs> but he was smart enough to do so uh and uh, i fell in love with it immediately um so so that's how i started and uh, by the age of uh, 16 or 17 i was already um a professional programmer uh, 
was into selling some software at the time already. Uh, and then my, uh, with my uh, military service, I served at uh, one of those uh, elite computer science units in the IDF, in the Israeli Defense Force. It's called Mamram. Mm-hmm. Um, I served there for six years. Um, in terms of my uh, 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 university degree, I actually started it during my military service and stopped it in the middle. So I never finished it. Oh, okay, you didn't. Ah. <laughs> never, never gone back. You never, never had the need to revisit that. Yeah, no, never, never gone back. I think that uh, it, it's twofold. First is, is the uh, the kind of um, education that I got from my military service uh, that was definitely more than uh, definitely more than a first degree in university, but also probably my uh, my personal uh, character. I guess um, I'm a little bit of a. I, I probably was diagnosed with ADHD if there was anyone diagnosing at the time. Yeah. Uh, but no, no one was. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I could. You know. I could read um, um, a computer science book end to end, literally without stopping. But I could never ever finish a history book. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's it. So I started, and then I uh, actually joined the first startup uh, while uh, uh, doing my first year in. Uh, in uh, university, and then I simply said, oh, "That's that's not that's too much for me," and went directly into the market. And um, I was reminded of that Steve Jobs quote: um, "You can only join the dots when you look backwards." And I was thinking, is that something that you you can relate to now when you look back with your father importing the computers, but then actually getting you the the programming course as well? Yeah, with uh, with the modesty of comparing myself to someone like Jobs, uh, <laughs> I'm definitely not Steve Jobs. Um, but yes, you know, it's uh, it, it it was uh, Steve Jobs was uh, obviously uh, older than I mean, a few good years back then. Mm. Uh, but yes, you know, it's uh, it's it's very similar when you um, uh, get yourself educated with computer science at a very very early age, uh, when most kids around me. I didn't even understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, by all means, it was very, very early on. Um, that that is something very, uh, you know, very special. Definitely influenced my whole life. Mm. And and what kind of stuff were you um, were you doing when you um, with the Israeli Defense Force? Um, both um, that, that came out of that time, I suppose. That for, for you. No, I, I did various stuff. Again, it was computer science uh, back then, and we were serving mostly um, uh, units out there in the field. Um, so anything okay. that you cannot uh, not cannot necessarily talk about everything, yeah. but uh, kind of systems that would serve soldiers um, on the go, whether it's uh, yeah, uh, computer science for tanks mm. and and other stuff that has to do with networking. Okay, okay, got you. And at what point did you then decide um, that you wanted to start your own business? Had there been times that you'd thought about starting your, your own business up before? There just wasn't the opportunity or the, the vehicle to do it? <clears throat> yeah, the first company I joined immediately after my military service was a startup. So uh, that, that was the first thing I saw. Mm. Uh, in the market, I didn't join, you know, uh, a big company or anything. I joined uh, a couple of guys, uh, literally in a in, in an apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, falling in love with startups was easy. <laughs> um, I, I was the thing. I was always pretty ambitious, um, and yes, I think it was mostly the right timing. Uh, 
uh, frankly, I think it's um, it's uh, it's not a good thing to go through some stuff before you do that yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did see, by the way, some founders that you know uh, it's the first thing they did and they were very successful. But on the other hand, you can see many who did it, who do it for the first time without having any industry background or experience and and. And it's much harder for them. Yeah. So uh, and 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 by the way, I've been I've been to that startup, and then I went to much bigger companies managing literally hundreds of people, um, and you learn a lot. Like uh, uh, you learn a lot from those big companies, especially when there's always when they're already you know the, the product market fit, and you see how things go and how people manage sales and how people manage marketing, um, and that kind of experience is uh, uh, is super important when you start your own business. Mm. And going into the first business where you were a co-founder with with Pickup, um, what was the timeline with them? Was that was that back in the early two thousands or, or? Yeah, it was about mid two thousand, mid two thousand back then. Yeah. Okay, and you, you you exited that business. The business was sold a couple of years later, and and was that uh, does Pickup form any resemblance to what you're doing now with with Watch It? Um, very, very little. Some of the, some of, uh, what we did at Pickup back then was an image syndication business. We've basically solved, uh, a problem to, uh, both sides of, 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 a, of a marketplace in a way, like we were working with, uh, the wires like Getty Images and Reuters and others on one hand, and we were working with small publishers on the other side, um, uh, that needed footage, mostly images back then at the time. It was images. And people were um, sometimes uh, mistakenly, sometimes unintentionally, uh, you know, looking for a content, uh, an image, let's say even, I don't know, an image of Donald Trump, and they were looking on the web and they were taking some image unknowingly, knowing that they breached the rights mm. uh, or the intellectual property of the ones who owns the picture. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, we've built a, um, um, a solution that basically enables people to um, grab those images but not as simple images, but as an as an embed code that once you uh, embed it on your website, it runs uh, advertising on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it enabled the wires to get a new source of revenue on one hand and not having to deal with those who apparently are using the contents without permission. Uh, but on the other hand, it enabled um, small publishers to use content freely uh, without breaching anyone's license, uh, but moreover to be compensated for that. Uh, so it was uh, a kind of a, a business model idea that was implemented through that product. Uh, so the, there are some similarities, but uh, very few. Um, I do work, by the way, with Watch It at the moment with um, some of those uh, companies I worked with in the past. So again, Getty Images, Reuters, and AP, and others okay. uh, in, yeah. in our current business. But other than that, there's very little similarity. Okay, and how, um, how many years gap was there between um, finishing up and starting with, with Watch It then? Oh, very little. Uh, within about three months, we started working on a project. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we came up with an idea. <clears throat> uh, the idea was um, uh, started, so to speak, from a, um, um, almost, I would say, a technical idea. Uh, and, you know, I had a chat with a good friend of mine, and we said, oh, that's a great idea, but we have no idea how to make a product out of that. <laughs> what's the business model behind it? Yeah. And it took about three months to, uh, to have, uh, so to speak, a eureka moment. Yeah, and we said, okay, that's that's the product. And by the way, clearly, this is not the product we have today. Yeah, uh, not surprisingly. <laughs> um, 
but and then we started working on that for about half a year uh, already with uh, with a couple of people and uh, once we had our first funding uh, we've actually registered the company so I would say the whole process took about a year okay and how did you go about uh, raising capital to, to start this business because you did you have a you know you came up with this idea um, chatted it through with a few friends and then thought, okay, this is going to cost us X to, to build this. How are we going to go about raising that money? So we started uh, with seed funding uh, uh, from a um, uh, small fund in Israel, um, guys who knew us. So it was, okay. uh, I wouldn't say easy, you know, and it's never easy, but it was uh, easier, so to speak. So mm-hmm. they, they knew us from the past, so they knew the, the two co-founders and they could... Um, uh, you know, trust us. Yeah. Uh, and we've also put our own money back then when we did sit funding, we put our own money into the business. Uh, you know, some skin in the game is yeah. always good, especially when you do your seed funding. Mm. Um, and we've raised 1.2 million and, and, and started the company back then. Okay. And, and um, talk us through the timeline with regards to recruiting people. Um, and, and who did you who did you need to start with? I'm assuming you, need, you needed a bunch of developers to try and build that platform to start with. Correct. So, um, first of all, the, the, the two guys who came in first were two developers uh, that I knew for a long time. One of them was working with me or is still working with me here for the third time. And the other guy uh, was a very talented uh, guy I knew from almost more than 20 years. Mm. Uh, so, And these guys basically joined uh, before anything was formed. Uh, they liked the idea, they liked the premise, and they decided to join. Uh, so, they just joined very early on. Uh, we've hired maybe a couple more guys, and uh, I was, by the way, programming at the time for about um, six or nine months, something like that. So I was definitely a part of the team building the the first product. Mm. Um, uh, it wasn't it wasn't too long before I had to literally uh, take myself off the keyboard uh, forcefully <laughs> because the because we needed to raise funds and we needed to do some other stuff and we needed to uh, get into the market at some point. Yeah. Uh, but but I was definitely into uh, building the first prototypes uh, early on. Uh, do, do you still recognize some of that in the current form or completely <laughs> and utterly nothing at all? Um, uh, first of all, I wish I could say it's uh, the, the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I would assume that if you dig uh, hard enough, there is a piece of code that has my name on it still. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, but it's uh, the the team here, the very talented team here, team here wrote so many lines of code ever since. Uh, and that I wouldn't. First of all, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if everything that I coded back then was completely redone. Yeah. Uh, you know, because when you do things fast, just to do something and get quickly into the market, uh, it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, the best code ever. Mm. Uh, but I guess there's some traces. Probably not a lot. Okay. Um, and and at the moment, so you, you, from back then, 2012, um, and and assuming that was in. In Tel Aviv, in Israel, and now you've you've grown it. So you've got offices in New York and London as well. Correct. So uh, actually, our headquarters is is in uh, New York City. Um, headquarters. Is uh, okay. Yeah, headquarters in New York City, and uh, the R and D center, so to speak, is in Israel, um, and we have another office in. Uh, in London, so New York and uh, and London, they do mostly sales, and our customer success teams are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the marketing uh, was done from uh, from New York as well. Okay. And how would you? Um, I always ask a founder to 
describe their own business because whenever I say it, it never seems to do it justice. Like if we're talking video creation software companies, yeah. um, I'm sure I haven't done it remotely the justice that it deserves. So how would you explain <laughs> to somebody who's coming into this conversation for the first time um, what you do and how you do it? Yeah, so the three words, uh, three first words are the same. It's a video creation platform. Uh, that said, um, it's it's a unique combination of, let's say, of, um, of uh, three elements that eventually uh, make the creation of video easy, scalable, uh, but I would say more, more than anything else, without compromising on, on brand identity, on production value and, and quality, these things are very, very important. Um, so we basically um, combine three elements or the three pillars into our platform. One of them is automation. Um, but that said, I'm saying it very cautiously because um, uh, when you do storytelling in video, um, complete automation is probably not the way to go. And mm. none of our clients want complete automation. That said, there are certain elements within the video production uh, process that you can completely automate and people would love it. So I'll just give maybe a couple of examples or maybe, mm. so for example, if you created a 16 by nine video and you want to create a square video to put on Facebook or on Instagram, uh, with Watch It, you do this in a click of a button. If you do it in any other platform, you would probably need to work a couple of hours. Mm. So th these are the kind of things, um, or if you wrote a story and you want to find the most relevant um, footage for it, we automatically do that as well. Um, or if you want your uh, uh, video to be completely branded and you want your sound mixing to be perfect, we completely automate that. Um, okay. So these are the kind of things we automate. So I say we automate everything which we believe makes sense to automate in the process of video production. The second element, having said that about uh, storytelling, uh, we have developed um, creative tools. You can call them editing tools. That said, they're uh, way simplified in terms of the um, user interface and user experience and in such a way that it will allow you um, full control over how your video is going to look like but it will not require you to be a videographer. Uh, you don't have to have video skills in order to be a great watcheteer. Hmm. And the third element in our platform is, is raw content, footage. Um, eventually, when you want to tell a story, you need to have access to content. Uh, whether this is a news event, uh, something happened, there's an earthquake somewhere, or whether, uh, I, I don't know, uh, Apple is launching a new iPhone, or whether you want to uh, do a, mar uh, you know, a content marketing campaign and you need uh, uh, creative footage. So uh, in, in order to solve this issue, we've teamed up um, with um, roughly 20 content providers from the, the likes of Getty Images and Reuters and AP and AFP in France and, hmm, and CCTV in Xinhua in China and... Uh, um, whomever you can think of, and we basically have access to all of their content in real time. Okay. And we solve and we solve two main issues to our clients. One is a licensing or license clearance, actually. So every piece of content you use on a platform is cleared in terms of licensing. And the second thing that we solve are redistribution rights. Once you use that content to create a video, you can then redistribute your video on social, mobile, on an operated OTT, whatever you want. We cover all that for you. And we bring up these three elements into one uh, one pillar. Uh, sorry, one platform that enables you to basically turn any video into a story, any story into a video within about ten minutes. Uh, so that's the uh, the quick elevator pitch. Yeah. Um, Amazing. And uh, yeah, and and today we operate uh, we operate globally uh, over six hundred um, publishers and brands who work with us literally on a daily basis. 
uh, creating um, hundreds of thousands of videos every month with us. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I said, we have global presence from, uh, you know, the Americas, uh, North America, Latin America, all of Europe, uh, Asia Pacific, uh, literally all over the place today. And how did you go about, I'm interested in, is, is getting those agreements with, with people uh, like Reuters, that was that... Uh, a very long, drawn-out process, trying to gain their trust and respect for what you were offering. Okay. Or interested to know? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say it's even more than that. It's first of all, yeah, you need to gain their trust, and um, and with some of them, the process is longer than the others. You can imagine that you know when you work with a company like the AP is just one example. Mm. Uh, this is not this is not a startup with six people. It's a, it's a very established company. Uh, with clear processes and uh, and it doesn't move at the pace of, of a startup. Uh, so you know, getting into an agreement with uh, with some of them could take anywhere between six months to a year. Yeah. Uh, but I think that more than that, um, gaining trust with these uh, these these first of all, these are partners. In the, we're, yeah. we're not client of them. These are partners. And in order to gain their trust, it's something that you do on an ongoing basis. Um, uh, it's it's a, con a constant relationship uh, that it, that is based mostly on transparency to build trust. Uh, so they know exactly what's going on, and they know exactly how their content is being used, and they have dashboards to have live access to their you know, real-time access to their reporting and all of that. And there are people constantly talking to them. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, as I said, it's a partnership based on transparency, honesty. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's the key and it's something ongoing. Mm. And do you feel this platform that you created kind of like levels the playing field for everybody who wants to be able to tell a story in, in, in video format? I think it is, and I'll, um, I'll tell you maybe what's the what's the key difference between um, between our platform and, and, and different solutions out there in the market. Because there are many solutions. If you want to create a short form video, mm. uh, there are many solutions to do it um, almost instantly and almost automatically. At the end of the day, um, when you want to work with the uh, with the biggest publishers and brands. Um, maintaining brand identity, being able to tell a story, being able to inject your creativity, your sense of humor, your point of view, um, is what's key to tell a good story. Um, and I think that's what differentiates from, from anything else. The kind of tools or the kind of customizability that we allow in order to create something which is completely on brand, as opposed to any other, um, you know, platform or solution which is based on, on templates or uh, you know fixed storyboards uh, that eventually will all look the same mm -hmm. and I think that's the key and and the challenge is how you keep it uh, even though you want the, the, those capabilities how you keep it simple that's the challenge how you make it easy uh, so it still uh, you know uh, gives you the um, advantage of moving fast and not having to have uh, uh, you know, uh, professional videographers work for you in order to create good stuff. Mm. And if you, given your experience in the industry, and I might be wrong, but I could imagine what your answer would be. If you, if you were starting out um, producing content, if you were a brand new startup and you wanted to get your, to tell your story, to get your message across, um, what format would you, you go with to start with? Would, would you go straight to video or would you be thinking a blog is an easy way to do this uh, or a podcast? You know, there's so many different forms of content now. 
first of all, I, I think it's twofold. On one hand, I would say you could you couldn't ignore video these days. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, I would say it, uh, the question is, what audience are you trying to reach? Yeah. Um, and and I and I would say that clearly, maybe I would say the younger your audience is, I would I would I rely more on video. Mm. Uh, if you're targeting a different audience, video might not be the case. If you're building a, you know, a product for elderly people, I'm not sure that video is your first go-to, uh, uh, you know, content uh, mm, good point. Uh, target. Uh, so I would say it's it's mostly driven by audience. That said, um, video as a means of communication is something that is constantly growing, and it is something that you just simply cannot ignore these days. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, what challenges have, have, have you had since you started um, the business now that you're at a certain size? And I'm, I'm thinking maybe you've got um, the communication between different time zones and different continents. Uh, might be easy for you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that these are, uh, these are, the, these are operational things that um, I wouldn't consider them as significant challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, there are challenges in managing an international business with offices worldwide. Uh, by the way, I think that the biggest challenge in terms of uh, operating an international business is maintaining the same kind of DNA across multiple offices yeah. uh, more than anything else. Time difference is not an issue. You can overcome time differences. Uh, but having the same DNA mm. uh, is definitely a challenge. And, uh, and collaboration is uh, between those different offices is a challenge. I can give you maybe one example uh, of things that we do um, and how it gets everybody together. Uh, we have um, um, a significant release every three weeks. And we gather everybody on um, on video together uh, for what we call a product demo. So everyone is uh, aware of what's coming up and how it's going to look like and, and what's, uh, what are the new features. Nobody misses those demos. Uh, you can see, mm-hmm. you know, dozens of people, you know, gathering on a video conference and people ask questions and, and it gets everyone together. Um, so I would say that these kind of things, you know, uh, you know, bringing people together internationally is a challenge. Uh, but if if I will um, if I will relate to your question in a little bit broader way, um, there's there's no there's no single challenge that you can say, oh, that, that's that's my biggest challenge. At the end of the day, um, running a startup is literally it's not it's it's a metaphor that has been used uh, so often. But you know, it, it's it is a roller coaster. Yeah. And there, there is constant up and downs, ups and downs. And um, I, I think that the most important thing um, in those ups and downs uh, as, as a person is to identify, literally identify when you're down and just um, telling yourself that this is something temporal. Mm. And, and eventually uh, you, you, you hit the bottom and then you go back up. And as long as you are aware that, um, you know, at the end of the bottom, you can only go up and it will go up eventually, you can probably overcome everything. Yeah, to try and try and change that mindset, I think, is, is key as well to, like you say, to recognize when you're, when you're down and whether, whether to change the environment you're in or just to walk away and come back and revisit something. Totally. I mean, I think it's just a, a, mostly of a, a matter of being aware 
mm. to the situation, um, looking at the situation as it is and understanding where you are. Uh, you know, it's like if you imagine that roller coaster, like uh, being aware of where are you on that curve is critical to know uh, or to be able to uh, keep the momentum, so to speak. And, and, and whereabouts, whereabouts you sat at the moment on that roller coaster? <laughs> Uh, probably probably pretty much up now pretty much up that sounds good yeah Um, yeah yeah. and and what are you um excited about right now what what kind of things are you working on that you you can foresee um throughout the the rest of 2018 and and even moving into the next couple of years that that excites you is it is it something like ai um that's very much i think not many people in the world who aren't aware of something like that right now yeah, I would say first of all, the terms that uh, we use here is is not AI but VI, which is video intelligence. Okay. Uh, but but uh, I would say that generally, I, I I can clearly see the path where Watch It eventually becomes the go-to platform for all short-form video. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we see ourselves growing within our, our current client base. We see our, we, we're penetrating new markets, and we make a both. Um, you know, we see how we. Um, provide more value to our clients uh, that we have today. And we also see how the platform brings value to new markets. And that's, that's one of the biggest challenges. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, every challenge is an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and, and I can clearly see how, you know, we became the, the, the de facto standard for short form video within a few years. Uh, huge challenge, but again, huge opportunity. Absolutely. Um, and, if you were starting out again now, would, would you go into the same industry or do you see other industries out there that particularly excite yourself if you, if you were starting a business? Uh, never thought or actually haven't thought about that for a long time. But first of all, I think that um, I've, I've been in video for, for many years. Mm. Um, and, and one thing about video as opposed to other um, industries is that it's very visual. And uh, there is, I would say there's a certain kind of joy uh, when it comes to creatives and visuals, um, something that you can literally feel, you can touch it, you can see it, you can relate to it. Uh, there's so many technologies that do so many great things, but they're, so to speak, you know, uh, buried underneath the ground uh, in a way. And, and video is so visual. So I think that I will, uh, I definitely like the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, could I have chosen, you know, today a completely different uh, domain? Probably, yes. Uh, there's so many, uh, you know, domains and ecosystems that are amazing. Um, so, yeah, I could do anything else, but video is something I definitely like. Okay. And how, um, on a personal matter, how, how do you manage to um, live the life you do with the amount of travel that you have? This is coming from a person, myself, who, who worked for for an airline for 16 years with Virgin Atlantic. So I know, <laughs> I know all about that. <laughs> so um, my, my usual answer, by the way, when people ask me, where are you based? The answer is usually I'm based on United Airlines. <laughs> uh, um, um, first of all, you know, travel is something that um, that is a, is a part of what I do. Uh, it is tedious. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I know it's, I would, I would say it would be a lie if I say it's not hard, mm. especially when you travel between different time zones. Uh, it definitely has, you know, uh, there's a price on your body uh, physically yeah. uh, when you do that kind of travel. Um, I'm trying to find a balance. 
mostly as much as I can. Um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a limit to what uh, to how much travel you can do, uh, but you definitely get used to it. Yeah. Um, and, and there are certain things you can do to make your life easier uh, while traveling. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, it is challenging. Very good. And um, just wanted to finish on, as I know you're going to be incredibly busy. Um, can you remember what you wanted to be when you, when you were growing up and how, how would you reflect back on that now? What I wanted to be when I, when I was a kid? Yeah. <laughs> so... I can't remember anything in specific, like under the age of ten or something like that. You know, probably a pilot or something like that. But, yeah. but as, as as I said, um, you know, we, we started the conversation, so we're closing the loop now. Yeah. Uh, as I, I got my first computer at the age of twelve, and I literally fell in love with it. Uh, for me, from the age of twelve and on, it was very, very clear that I'm gonna, I'm gonna do uh, computer science. It was very, very clear to me. Um, I, I actually turned my hobby into my profession uh, eventually um, and I literally cannot remember anything else or anything before these before those days so <laughs> I would say I managed to uh, become what I wanted to be as a kid yeah yeah and, and any of your children because um, I know like myself you've, you've, you've got kids uh, shown an interest in, in that field as well uh, funny enough, my uh, my uh, eldest uh, kid uh, went. Uh, you know, she's finishing high school now, and uh, she did uh, learn computer science. Huh. She's uh, pretty good at that, actually. And yeah. uh, more than that, uh, during the summer vacation, she was doing some programming here as well. So, uh, awesome. so that's nice. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the rest of the kids, uh, I think they'll probably do some some other stuff. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, I really enjoyed talking to you and um, thank you so much for your time and I wish you all the continued success that you're having. Absolutely. Thank you so much for making the time and uh, wish you good luck with your podcast. So very interesting uh, personal story there from Draw, given his background and what he's now doing um, globally with a substantial workforce and traveling across a number of different continents to make it happen. A couple of takeaways for me, recognizing when you're down. Don't think we've talked about this one before on the show, Um, but any of us who've started a business, involved in a business, know what a roller coaster it is. Recognizing when you're down can be a very important thing and rather than just plowing your furrow with your head down sometimes makes far more sense just to stop recognize and walk away go and do something and then come back to whatever you were doing be that taking a walk listening to some music getting something to eat um finding that special place that maybe reconnects you um to your mission, to your why, to your purpose. Um, Really good thing to bring up, I thought. Uh, Likewise, the the DNA in your office, the DNA within your team, what do you do to make sure that everybody's together, everybody's on the same page, essentially, everybody knows the core purpose of what you're doing? Um, No, I need to do this more myself. But getting people together rather than 
yes, you can have individual meetings with members of staff, but getting everybody together for, for something like they do with a, a monthly event, um, the demo that they have, I think that's a great idea. Um, lucky enough, my business, we all get together at least once a month when we have an event and, you know, that's quite um, a positive emotion. Um, can be a little stressful, yeah, but it's quite a positive experience. Everybody leaves on a high. Everybody works together as a team. So that's quite a good bonding exercise. Um, and everybody's very clear with regards to what we're looking to achieve. Um, and we always meet up the next day and have a, have a debrief about it as well, what worked well, what didn't work so well, what can we improve on in the future. So maybe think about how you can do that with your business, especially if you're a startup and you, you have a small team, um, you know, you're, not in, you're in single figure still, what can you do um, to get everybody together? Not everybody might want to go to the pub on a Friday. Um, people have different commitments at different ages. So just remember that one. Um, and finally, rather than a point of um, reflection, it's more of a question for you following on from my last question to draw, and that is, what did you want to be when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, are you doing it? If not, if what you're doing now, does that give you pleasure? Does it make you happy? Does it fill you with purpose? Are you fulfilling your why? If not, maybe it's time to reevaluate. Never a good time like the present. We are just coming up to the end of the first quarter of the year. I have no clue where the first quarter of the year has gone. I kind of feel like we should still be in January in a way, especially with the weather in the UK. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great time to step back and reflect. It's what I'm going to be doing um, next week and also the first week in April over the, over the Easter holidays, in fact. Reflecting where we've come over the first quarter of the year, um, what we can still achieve, what we did achieve, what we didn't, what tweaks need to be made. Great time to do it. Speaking of tweaks, as you may have noticed, uh, literally in the last week I've decided to go back to just doing the one podcast episode on the, on the Wednesday it's released. Um, Startup Saturday for myself for a number of reasons, just going to reflect on that and maybe come back with something a little bit different. Just working on that at the moment. Um, so stay tuned for the next episode, which will be the following Wednesday. Have a great week. If you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. That's startupu with the letter U. From there, you'll be able to see what live events we've got coming up and book a ticket from as little as £5, which includes a complimentary drink and the opportunity to network with like-minded entrepreneurs. Hope to see you soon. If you're an entrepreneur looking for funding, mentoring or support, go to startupu.co.uk. And if you'd like to share your startup story, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to the contact page on startupu.co.uk and we'll be in touch. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and I'd love it if you left me a review of the show. 
To connect with me personally, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook at Alex Chisnell. Until the next show, remember don't wait. The time will never be just right. Action always beats intention. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great-looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screwitjustdoit to enter. <laughs>